Thank you for tuning in to episode 57 of Clipstream. My name is Chad Kenny, and joining me once again via Skype with his Rock'em Sock'em jetpack, it's Andrew Pattison. Chad, it sounds like you got a, a bout of the sniffles. I stepped outside for a good three minutes, and judging by the fact that I'm a, a very soft, uh, immune person from the West Valley, I already caught a cold. I think you're just soft. I, I'm, I am Pau Gasol. In you're pretty soft. Form. You did not bring your. You're not wearing your big boy pants. I am not. Although it is a bit uh, late to the party to make fun of Pau Gasol because there's much softer people here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, we Angelinos cannot deal with cold weather. Let me tell you, and it got. It's getting down into the 40s. It's impressive. I, I don't even know if it's as cold in in Chicago if you take out the wind chill factor, but. It's also pretty cold for anyone who's been enjoying or trying to enjoy the Los Angeles Clippers the last few weeks since we haven't done a podcast. Well, you did a podcast. You were on the Non-Ballers Association cast. Good job, by the way. Oh, I mean, a lot of love for those guys. Yeah, It was weird kind of filling your role on another podcast, and now we're back, and and uh, we got a lot to talk about. Right, you were really playing the Mike Smith role there. Oh, I'm I'm not used to being a, a really uh, social, socially anxious Mormon. So, <laughs> <laughs> adding adding nothing to the conversation. Correct. Right, right. And uh, if anyone still needs to talk about the fact that DeAndre Jordan is a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, well, you're just a homer. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really tough. It's taxing to speak in hyperbole 24-7. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Andrew, obviously we don't have enough time in this podcast to catch up on all the uh, lost ground we've had in the last three weeks. But no. I think a good place to start is probably right before Christmas, starting last Monday when we went into San Antonio. Um, and once again, struggled to maintain any sort of footing in a ball game, uh, just not being able to close anything out. It, it seems to be the ongoing theme right now for the Clippers, uh, which obviously was then again reinforced the following night in Atlanta. But uh, that two game back to back right there, especially going into Atlanta where we had shown up really poor in the first quarter, then really reasserted ourselves in the second and third, then absolutely blew it in the fourth. What did you see in those two games before Christmas that, I don't know, gave you any sort of indication of where we were at this point in time in the season? Well, it's tough to really gauge that trip. That was the toughest stretch of games that the Clippers are going to have in the season, bar none. You're talking about five games and seven nights in, you know, uh, what is it, four different area codes. It's tough to get your footing when you're traveling that much, when you don't have, you know, dedicated... There's no, there's no real rhyme or reason to the schedule. Everything's at different times. That's taxing on any team. Um, mm-hmm. But one playing, you know, kind of as, as shaky as the Clippers are at this point, um, you know, not having key guys in the rotation, namely Spencer Hawes, playing a lot of big baby and just searching for minutes uh, and playing... Blake and DeAndre, a ton of minutes. And when you have that many games back-to-back and over the course of a week, uh, it's got to be tough for those guys. Um, So you see that mainly, um, that, you know, maybe they're not at 
100%, not health-wise, but just, you know, in terms of fatigue. Uh, and at this point in the season, you know, in, in December, that, that's bad if your team is looking uh, not well-rested uh, up to this point. And frankly, you know, the Spurs manage it so well, and other teams will give guys the night off, but with the way that the Clippers are looking health-wise, you know, with guys missing games here and there, Jordan Farmar being out for a while, uh, they really just can't afford to ha- to sit anybody on any of these games, and I think that was the biggest takeaway that you saw throughout this trip, is that they just looked to be more and more sluggish uh, as it went on. Especially when you're going against a team like Atlanta, who has really proven themselves to be the toast of the East right now, or at least one of the three best teams in the East, with Chicago and and Cleveland sort of figuring things out. Um, Atlanta, you, you go into the second half of night of a back-to-back, and you go up against a team like that, and you expect Paul Millsap, Jeff Teague to kill you, but when you see a team like the Clippers really visibly showing their fatigue, uh, you're going to allow Damari Carroll to go off for 25, or Kyle Korver hit four threes like it's nothing. People are going to blow assignments. They're going to not have that same jump and, and commitment to defense. And, and unfortunately, that's just going to result in losses, especially at this point in time of the season where, you know, people, people are still trying to, you know, assert themselves. And, and, and so that was like a really unfortunate loss, especially the Atlanta one. I mean, San Antonio, you understand they're still trying to, you know, stay atop the West, but you almost feel like to beat Atlanta kind of in the whole hodgepodge in the West is a very important win for you, especially in, in Atlanta. Yeah, and, well, I think there are a number of teams out East that it's acceptable, right? If you can lose a game, maybe split the series on the season, you don't want to lose both, certainly, but Atlanta has proven at this point in the season, you know, a quarter of the way through, that they're one of those teams uh, that is going to be a tough task for any Western Conference team, top to bottom. And they're they're highly skilled team, I would say. Um, looking through, you know, two through four there, Horford hasn't been playing as well as he has in the past when he's been an all-star in the past. But they come at you, you know, with, with four very skilled guys who can all space the floor. Uh, the speed of Teague, Schroeder uh, in the backcourt, that's a tough mm-hmm. task for point guards. And then if you give any of those guys any room, they're more than happy to pull up from the three-point line uh, and make you pay. So that's yeah. been key to their success. And people are talking about Kyle Korver as possibly an all-star candidate, and you right. have to when he's shooting you know, 50% from three. Uh, but yeah. he's, he's a big part of, of their success, and they really use him well. So if you're showing any kind of, of weary legs, if it's chasing him around the court um, or you know, just closing out, if you give any of those guys an inch of space, they're going to make you pay. It's it's tough to think that Kyle Korver deserves an All Star uh, bid when when you kind of just think about we live in an era in the NBA where three point shooting is so overvalued. Obviously, people are a lot better at three point shooting uh, on the on the whole, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Atlanta is is the real deal from what I've seen so far. Uh, as is Washington, someone you know who we dropped the game against in 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 Washington, and also mm-hmm. you know give some credit to Milwaukee who gave us two very tough games, one which resulted in a loss, 
at the at the Bradley Center, but you know they're feisty, right? They have played us tough. They're one of the only teams that we faced twice, and haven't missed a beat since Jabari went out. Which you mm-hmm. know, unfortunately, it's going to hurt them in the long run. But you look at the Eastern Conference and you look at the top five right now, and uh, and and Cleveland is is kind of the caboose in the, in that train. But uh, I mean, those guys can compete with any of the top teams in the West on any given night. And it's early in the season, but, you know, obviously the East on the whole is terrible. But you look at the top of the East, and we've seen it firsthand because I I have to, I don't know the stats on hand, but we have to have played the most games against the Eastern Conference already out of any other Western Conference team. Um, Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, we know that he can spill soda onto basketball courts, but does this mean (laughs) that Jason Kidd is actually a good coach? I mean... I, I don't know. I don't watch them enough to know his, you know, play by play, you know, calls and, and calls out of timeouts and things mm-hmm. like that and late game management. But in terms of getting the most out of his guys, I mean, he took that Brooklyn team from a dismal start and then they really responded and uh, made a late push in the second half. Uh, and then with this Bucks team, who was the worst team in basketball last year, sure, uh, they're. They seem to have been rebounded, and they're playing. They're a feisty team. And look at where Brooklyn is. It goes to show that management and uh, upper office kind of stuff, and all this weird, you know, kind of voodoo stuff and in chemistry, it all plays into the bigger picture. And uh, just look at New York, <laughs> right there. And uh, the Knicks have impressively lost twenty six games. I don't think a team has won twenty six yet. So. It's uh, it's it is it it has a lot to do with a bigger picture within the organization. Happy for the Bucks. What about the Clippers and how on Christmas Day we seem to rise to the occasion of what was expected of us um, to kind of get back at Golden State, a team that we had handled in the in the postseason last year. What did you see I don't on know Christmas? About handled. I, I don't think I'd say handled. Well, we had we taken care of. We had, it was. A battle. Well, we had hand, we had handled the we had handled being a third seed in a, in a in in winning out of a, a playoff round. I know that in the Western Conference is a little bit more wide open, but we took care of business. What did you see on Christmas? Uh, you know, six seven months later, and where do you think these two teams are now? Yeah, well, I think we have to look back to the last time these teams played, which was up at Oracle, and the Clippers sure. got absolutely waxed. <laughs> uh, I mean, how many times have we seen slow motion footage of Draymond Green's tongue? Uh, <laughs> Christmas Day, it was it was great. I mean, that had a, a playoff feel to it, right? You, you knew the Clippers were going to rise to the occasion. Uh, actually, you didn't know that, but they did. Um, and just looking at the Warriors, you know, they just didn't bring it. Uh, Draymond Green was quoted after the game as saying that they were too nice and I would completely agree with that statement uh, they just weren't playing with a lot of toughness uh, the Clippers just out-tough them and that's a thing that you don't say that often about the Clippers and that's what you know their their detractors will say will point to first um, you know Charles Barkley always says that Chris Paul is the toughest guy on the team and he's only six feet tall that's the problem uh, but they were getting what they wanted inside, pushing people around, uh, protecting the lane, uh, with the exception of a couple Andre Iguodala dunks. Uh, they just outworked 
the Warriors, uh, on the, especially on the defensive end, not letting guys get into the paint, um, forcing turnovers, getting out on the break, that sort of thing. Uh, it was it was a very encouraging sign uh, at this point, but there were two things that I really want to talk about in the game. What did you think of the Christmas Day jerseys this year, Chad? I actually, um, if I had to compare them to the Christmas Day jerseys of two years ago, where it was like the red on red, and like for the Clippers, wasn't it like a blue on blue? I don't, I don't even remember. Was that I know the, the saturated colors year? It was like a, it was like a uh, no solid colors on numbers and letters year. Uh huh. Last year was the full saturated color sleeves. Right, the monochromatic kind of thing. I mean, I, I can't decide which two of the which of the two were more disgusting. This year was actually a little bit better. I know you were a fan of the Warriors jerseys. I like the Bulls ones. You know, they had the first names of the players on the back. Uh, you know, as long as they're going away from the sleeves as being like a primary alternate, um, I'm fine with that. I, I like this a little bit better. I mean, I was fine with it. After going through what we did the last two years, it seemed like an upgrade. I could have done without the first names, right? It's enough that you're changing the nameplate from the top to the bottom. But the first names was just dumb, in my opinion. You know, it's really dumb to see uh, Big Baby wear Glenn underneath his, his right. number zero. It's great to see, like, uh, Harrison Barnes, and it just says Harrison. And it's just, like, such a long name for him. I don't know. It's just, like, a long name, and you're like, wait, who is that? Harrison, oh, that, oh, yeah, also a last Har name. Right, exactly. And you're like, oh, that's oh, wait, yeah, that's Harrison. Because, oh, like, you know, sometimes you look at the back of a jersey, and you're not so familiar with Harrison Barnes's jersey, you know, when you're watching a game, as you would be, like, you know, Steph Curry. Sometimes you just see the third. Obviously, you can see the players and know it, but sometimes I was looking at the back of the jersey when I was just, like, you know, talking to friends during Christmas, and I look over, I'm like, who just scored? Oh, who's on the back of the jersey? Harrison? Who? Oh, oh, Harrison Barnes. Yeah, it's it's another step for your brain, which is exactly what we don't need right? especially after a bunch of eggnog and, and and holiday ham well i think it was toughest on the broadcasters because they just started calling players by their first names which is something yeah. that they normally don't do sure yeah. um yeah but i hated yeah, all yeah. of them i hated all of them with the exception of the warriors one because every team used their kind of secondary logo for the most part um and it was like smaller and right in the middle of the chest and it just really didn't work on any team i think the Spurs are the most glaring example because the Spurs jerseys are so kind of iconic uh, in their own right. Just the silver and black there uh, with the with the letter with the lettering there. Um, but just to have that kind of Spur logo, which they already have on their alternates, but it's kind of like offset and they're gray. Uh -huh. um, I don't like those either. That one really looked atrocious. It just looked like it, an unfinished. Uh, right. Spurs jersey, right? <laughs> but the Warriors one was really interesting because their front nameplate is is just so huge mm -hmm. on the normal jerseys. Yeah. And when you make it smaller and just kind of center it right there, have the number underneath, it looked really good, I yeah. think. That, that's I a change that, that they should actually look into, I think. Well, and then the next night they wore these black sleeve jerseys again with the logo in a full 200%. So, I mean, Ugh, I don't know. I'm so done with the black on black. Just black for black's sake. 
Right. Hell, it, unless your team actually has black in its colors, no. there's no point in doing that. It just no looks reason. dumb. No reason. I, I, I think it's funny that you talk about the Spurs jerseys being iconic. I mean, mainly because they probably haven't changed them since the ABA era. But, right. uh, but mainly because you've seen those jerseys so much because they're always late in the postseason and always on TV. So... Um, sure, but there's, there's also it. something really nice about their color scheme, right? It's just black, white, silver. Um, the logo hasn't changed, um, with the exception of you know that '90s period where they had the the teal and the whatever those colors were, which which never incorporated itself. Those southwestern colors never incorporated itself into the jerseys. No, um, it was just in the logo, with the exception of the All Star game that was held right. in San Antonio mm-hmm. and delivering some of the most awesome all-star jerseys. Oh, it was great. I mean, it was a little bit more fun. In the 90s, a lot of teams underwent this really vibrant, kind of like over-stylized, as the Warriors would attest to, you know, with this blue-faced kind of weird mascot thing and like the off-orange, like weird navy blue kind of get-up. I don't know. Like, I understand that now everyone wants to go back to traditional. I mean, you saw the... Atlanta Hawks start to embrace their Pac-Man logo again from the 70s, uh, early 80s. And uh, I don't know. Like, There's some things that I think... It's interesting when the Raptors recently wore their 95 jerseys, um, you know, that Damon Stoudemire used to wear and stuff with the Raptor on it. And then that looks really cool. But then you realize that we're starting to appreciate that as being vintage because the NBA these days are so minimal, you know? Yeah, I think, well... On that front, well, there's two quick segues here. We were sure. talking about All-Star jerseys. Have you sure. seen the All-Star jerseys for this year's game? I have not. In New York. Oh, you got to look it up. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm doing it right fan. now. I'm a big fan. Let okay. me tell you. Uh, monochromatic white and black mm-hmm. with circular numbers um, in the middle. No other words in the front. No west, no east. Just the number in the front. Kind of made to... Look like a like a subway line number kind of thing. Oh, I see it. Yeah, no, this is this is cool. And I then, like this uh, because they have they have piping on the side that incorporates you know the five boroughs of New York, and they all have their own little uh, twist there. It's a yeah. finer detail. It's not really prominent, but I, I think that's a very welcome change to the very loud and kind of brash. Uh, designs of the past you know five years i would say oh yeah i mean the green and blue teal sleeved uh, eastern conference jerseys that had nothing year. to do with new orleans right right yeah, except for disgusting. the fleur de lis those colors were awful well this the, these um these new new york jerseys for the all-star game kind of look like a rucker park kind of all-star game kind of thing and that's pretty cool right it kind of looks like um when you're playing the rookie showdown in NBA 2K, right, and the jerseys well, are just white and black, you know how I but feel I like about that because I'm one of those people that's really a big fan of just the old mid '90s, late '90s where they didn't have unified jerseys and they all wore their own individual ones, which the All Star rookie game, the rookie uh, sophomore game is still maintained. Mm-hmm. I actually like that, man. I don't know. It's something about that yeah. that's kind of exciting. It, it looks. It looks kind of. Like a like a controlled chaos out there uh-huh. on the floor. It looks really cool, with the exception of you know when you have a home team and then you have a Laker on there and they're wearing yellow, yellow, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. That kind of throws it off. But well, we're otherwise, it's a good it's a good thing. Uh, and then we're talking uh, two other segues. The the Raptors are going to have a new 
uh, logo and probably jersey next year, a new color scheme. So that was a welcome not addition. A fan. Not a fan of the logo, but the jersey could no? be a good change. I think it kind of brings back that Raptor kind of feel that you were talking about from the 90s. Actually, but does it in a very modern way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I, I like... The initial Grizzlies and Raptors stuff from ninety ninety five, um, I I think they were great. I think that when the Grizzlies moved to Memphis, it just got so plain and like monochromatic. Yeah. Um. So I wish that they would embrace a little bit, but obviously they weren't the ones that came up with the Grizzlies. Like the old Vancouver stuff really incorporated a lot of the Native American sort of aspects of that region. So yeah, that sense. piping on the sleeves and everything like that. Yeah, so if Memphis was to incorporate a little bit more color and some like Memphis kind of music stuff with with their current team name that they're stuck with, that would be cool, you know. Yeah. But yeah, but the I Raptors agree. were just like you know incepted by a, a fervor for dinosaurs in the mid '90s, and I still think it's cool. Like, why not? You know, they're Toronto. What's so interesting? You know, their their biggest team in their city is named after a fucking leaf. Like, <laughs> you know what oh, I'm saying? You're, like, you're hating on the Argonauts really hard right now. <laughs> Are they professional? <laughs> yeah, man. Canadian Football League. Right. A, a goalpost that far up is not professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm excited to see that, and I'm excited to see Drake unveil it. Because that's right. you said you had one inevitably going to happen. You said you had multiple segues. What was the last segue? <laughs> what was the other one? Oh, gosh. About jerseys. Oh, well, we were talking about, yeah, some of those going back to what it was before, and we used the Raptors as an example there. Um, but I, there's, I mean, look at the Sixers, right? Their evolution in terms of that logo. They went back to the old one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what you're really seeing from this era right now uh in terms of design uh oh you mentioned the the hawks as well going back to their logo but you know it's kind of taking the traditional um and updating it with a modern design yeah i think that that's also has a lot to do i mean we can get into like design talk on the whole but um you know in the in the 90s and then the early 2000s there's a lot of gradients and like shadowing and like all this stuff and more recently, like what you've seen, especially with like the new iPhone, like apps with the new like operating system and stuff, everything is just like solid colors and mm-hmm. like clean and simple. And obviously in the olden days, that's what it was because you couldn't print all these different colors on things. Um, Back in my day, we could only print <laughs> one thing at a time. You couldn't have I mean, like, I colors. I like some of the old, uh, you can see how a, a, t- a franchise can really screw that up. Uh, the Cavaliers... When they rolled out with like their new stuff around when LeBron came, it was actually pretty cool. Like it was really stylized, really cool. Like that alternate navy blue jersey was gorgeous. And then when he left for whatever reason, they tried to oversimplify it, and it's just been disgusting ever since. You know, there's no character. It's just block lettering and solid, disgusting colors. So has any team gone miss. through more color changes than that team? No, it's disgusting. I feel like they um, have a different, completely different set of uniforms and logos, like every five to ten years. Yeah, I mean the the Sixers and the Knicks and the Lakers and the Celtics—they have the benefit of doubt of being the marquee historic franchises, so you, you can't really break it. You know, they're not—they'd never be able to take creative liberties to do so. 
Um, with the Clippers, on the other hand, I feel like it's just been disgusting ever since. And, you know, I like those 80s jerseys, uh, the, the, like, real navy blue ones with, like, the kind of uh, really stylized C, mm-hmm. like, you know. Um, yeah, Michael kind of, Cage with his jerry curl. Yeah, like, the Michael Cage, great example. It, that was, like, classic Clippers. And ever since then, it seemed like Sterling didn't want to spend <laughs> any more money on I mean, there was even a point in time where the the new Clippers, L.A. Clippers logo didn't have a correct drawing of a basketball. <laughs> Sterling Sterling would have enjoyed having his players dress themselves. Right. right. Just bring your own whatever shorts you have and, and shirts. Doesn't I think matter. that I think that Sterling would have just been fine with skins versus shirts Uh-oh. and just. Uh oh. Yeah, if he had had his way, those guys would have been buck naked. Ooh. Disgusting. Uh, well, I, I, it's nice that they finally got it right about three years ago when Chris Paul came or when Blake was his rookie season. They finally they, got though? it right. No, it's, I mean, we've seen some good stuff. We saw the alternate blues, which are gorgeous. Those my favorite alternates in the league um, out of no bias. And I like the Los Angeles Stars jerseys when we wore them. The, they, out of all those real throwback ABA things they were doing, those were the best-looking ones by far. Okay, no. Minnesota Muskies. Also, yeah, right. Memphis Tams. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah but, right. I mean, you're just partial to baby blue, right? Because you're a Bruin. No. I mean, I like royal blue. I like cerulean. That's my favorite color. I, the Memphis Tam <laughs> ones with the green uh, kit with the yellow shorts. I mean, uh, yeah, if you're talking about that you're obviously like a soccer fan i cannot believe that you just said cerulean was your favorite color it's a very true blue it's a very (laughs) specific blue i'm a graphic designer i gotta know about this kind of stuff right yeah can't just like everything the reason that that really just comes from pokemon right no no i mean it's my favorite city in pokemon too but Well, what the reason why the reason why we're talking about jerseys so much is because you don't want to have to go back to talking about the Clippers. I understand this. Yeah, yeah, that's probably part of it. So, what happened against Toronto uh, yesterday? I couldn't tell you. I didn't. I didn't see the game. Oh, you weren't. Well, I watched it, and it goes to show. Well, here's a, here's a little theory that I've been talking about. I mean, not it's not my theory. It's something that's obviously been up for discussion. Um, we live. We're in an era right now where point guards are thriving in the NBA. Um, Obviously, a lot of the elite players in the NBA are point guards. But my whole philosophy, and it is proven by history, uh, since Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas won his his last championship in 1990, there has never been a top 10 player in the league that was a point guard that won a championship since then. And you can go back and look at everyone that has won a championship since then. Tony Parker, Mario Chalmers, uh, Jason Kidd at the end of his career, he was a top 10 player. You know, Rajon Rondo is in his second year. Derek Fisher, Ron Harper, Avery Johnson, the list goes on and on. No love for Chauncey Billups, huh? I mean, who wasn't even an all-star and won finals MVP, then was an all-star ever True. Uh, in, afterwards. True. So you're looking at a, a, a lineage that has proven that point guards are not integral to winning or crucial to winning an NBA championship. Well, Tony you know? Parker is probably the best one, right? And he was kind of the second banana. 
and he was never really a top 10 regular season player. He's always been, you know, Hall of Fame because of the surrounding cast and his accolades. And obviously, postseason play is just as important as regular season play. But, you know, this, just for the sake of this argument, um, you look at Chris Paul and a lot of things were thrown upon him. And now in more recent years, you get more point guards being drafted number one overall. Kyrie Irving, John Wall, Derrick Rose. So that's there's like been a more of a paradigm shift towards that. But it hasn't been proven yet. This hasn't been broken that you need an elite point guard to win a championship. So my my theory is, you know, for Chris Paul is that because he is in such a flourishing point guard market right now, he gets negated on many nights by another point guard like Kyle Lowry, like we saw yesterday, playing at the top of his game. You know, and you just you gotta have more options to throw when you're top five player in the league like Chris Paul gets negated by Kyle Lowry having a an amazing night like what else are you going to throw at them and it just seems like the Clippers had nothing to answer yeah well it's interesting I think most people when you ask them who the top five point guards in the league are Chris is on that list for everybody um, whether or not he's at the top or you know towards the bottom of that five he's got to be on there right mm-hmm. but the real interesting thing is that I think if you go, you know, from that top five and go all the way down to the 15 to 20 range, there's a drop off, but it's not as substantial as it is at other positions. Um, and when, you know, you're stacking up against, that means that, you know, over half of the games that you're going to be playing, that's not as big of, a, of an advantage as you're going to have at other positions. And that's that's the real thing is that that matchup is not while he might have a slight edge over a lot of guys, um, more often than not that that gap isn't as large as it should be for a player mm-hmm. of his caliber. Yeah, and it's tough because you know in recent years we've seen a player like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Paul Pierce. You know these really agile two, three, even four. You know guys who can stretch it but also play like a point guard, but also lock down on like world-class defense. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard comes to mind. Paul he George. Paul George. Um, you know, but Kawhi Leonard especially wins finals MVP. He doesn't just, you know, come off the page. We're just like, oh, wow, this guy is like a LeBron James type. But he slashes, he can get to the foul line, he can knock down open threes, fill his spots, and then just lock down. And that... in is almost more important. And so when you look at the Clippers this year, the biggest glaring weakness that most people would say who aren't watching the Clippers, I mean, even Clippers fans would say this too, is that position. We're completely absent to have a guy who's going to just take over and be able to fill all these needs. I mean, Jamal comes in as guaranteed scoring, but you can't even let him guard a three like Nicholas Batum or you know, even Markeith Morris, like, you're just going to get torched. Yeah, but I, I don't think that that's as big of a concern at this point because that's just the identity of the team. Um, when you have Chris with the ball in his hands operating at the top, you're not really relying on your wings to create. Um, and that would change if they had a player like that, I would imagine. But they don't. 
So you're letting Chris operate and kind of penetrate uh, there in the middle and using those wings as just kind of spot-up shooters uh, for the most part. Uh And that's just how our team works because that's what's going to give us the best chance of success. Now, they, you know, in, in my opinion, they probably should be doing more to run those guys around, have them coming off screens, have them coming off curls, uh, using Barnes to, to cut from the weak side, things like that that we have seen, um, you know, in kind of limited, but they kind of get away from it as the game progresses. Mm-hmm. They look for that in the first quarter, and then it just kind of disappears. Um, I mean, know, you like after, Barnes, after though. Halftime. You can't find a lot of small forwards on the market who have a higher basketball IQ than him, and that's without a doubt. I and mean, for the price. And for the price, of course. And when you're stacking three max players, which DeAndre will inevitably be, if it's not for our team, he's going to be a mid-max player at the least. You know, Barnes is a solid piece. He can slash. He is, he's good when he gets to the lane. Um, But, you know, you're losing something also by not, by not being able to rely on your, like two guys out of the starting lineup to give you guaranteed double-digit points every night, and that's DeAndre and Barnes. I mean, even Redick has his cold streak, but, you know, I don't know. I just think that there's a lot of offense locking, especially when Chris is trying to facilitate the offense early. I don't think that the issue is with the starting lineup. I think those guys, they have continuity now. Uh, They know each other's games, and when they play well, you know, the Clippers are, you know, top five offense in the league. So it's that's, obviously that's the second the problem. unit. I, I yeah, think it's the, the second problem unit. Is is yeah, it's with the second unit. Uh, Jovan Bua of uh, Clipper Blog and ESPN Los Angeles wrote an article saying that you know that was the most glaring weakness is that they just have very inconsistent bench play and that affects them in many ways because the starters will get out to a big lead and you'll see the bench unit give that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and have the starters come back in either with a very slim lead or having to play catch-up. Uh, and that's very frustrating, um, just because you, it's, it's you know, with the, with the Clippers teams of the past, you know, those bench units were, were one of the strengths of the team, it seemed like. Um, Tribe called bench. Yeah, the, those teams could, could extend leads. Um, and, you know, even if they didn't, necessarily extend leads you didn't feel like you know the ship was sinking as soon as those guys come in this year it's a completely different story and I think part of that is because you know these guys have been injured Farmar's been out of the lineup uh Jamal has missed some time uh then you really don't have a reliable three there behind Barnes uh Barnes really should be playing with that second unit so Doc's tried to do some interesting things rotating guys in different ways um, we'll see what happens with that, but I think that the biggest and most important thing for the Clippers season at this point uh, is Spencer Hawes, um, and not just you know wearing fantastic, fantastic suits uh, on Christmas Day and other Made days from as well. Leftover wrapping paper, exactly. Um, but really, just getting him healthy, and if that mm-hmm. means shutting him down for you know half a month or a month. Uh, then just do it because, you know, the only thing that you're getting by playing him when he's had this foot problem early on in the season where they said that he was walking around in a walking boot when he wasn't mm-hmm. on the court. Yeah. Um, and now he has that bone bruise in his knee. 
uh, you just need to shut him down and give him time to rest up and be healthy because if you bring him back, you're not really integrating him very well, uh, at least with the other guys. Those other guys are just getting used to be playing with like a 75% healthy Spencer Hawes, which isn't going to help you down the stretch. No, it's not. And, and uh, something that you had mentioned, obviously, uh, sort of lamented about on Twitter as well, but, you know, the Clippers at this point in time and the way that they've allowed teams to creep back into it because of the, you know, inadequacies of the second unit, um, you can't take Chris Paul and Blake Griffin off the court at the same time. Um, no, and, they, can't, and, they can't afford to do it. And we've seen a lot of rotation kind of stuff where, you know, Doc will bring in Jamal and take out either Redick or Barnes, and then he'll take out Paul, Griffin, and Jordan, and then bring in the rest of the guys um, and Barnes. And then in the beginning of the second quarter, he'll usually bring DJ back in there because DJ is the freshest of the three best guys. I mean, he's still, you know, it's pretty remarkable that he's he's been, he hasn't missed any games. Knock on wood, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying something like that. But uh, Yeah, and playing uh, big minutes as well. Yeah, so, and, um, you know, obviously... All with athlete-induced asthma. <laughs> exactly, I mean, it's remarkable. What's in that but, inhaler, guys? I'm asking the hard questions. Uh, you are. You're getting to the core. And we thought we'd see the Blake and, you know, Haas combination a little bit more. Um, but we saw a lot of DJ and Haas. And now with Haas out, and this is something that I sort of proposed to you the other day, was, you know, take Blake out earlier and then bring him back at the beginning of the second. Because you you just, you got to have, you got to have one of your superstars on the court of the two. Yeah, you know? I, I don't see any problems with that. I, I would I would welcome that. I mean, especially in, in like nationally televised games, you have that dedicated like TV timeout about three minutes into the second quarter, and the quarter breaks are going to be longer as well. This also, you want Blake. You, I talked you want Blake? about with Alex Small is like yeah. real real world time of rest versus game time of rest, and how to mm-hmm. maximize that. Sure, that's something you that want... we always get back to. But I mean, they really need to. I don't know if it takes somebody to study it, then then study it and write it up and show Doc, and he'll realize that okay, I need to take out Blake with you know whatever it is, two minutes left in in the first quarter, and then just sit him for a total of five minutes. Then you you know you're playing him like thirty eight minutes a game, and he's getting the rest that he needs. And and also you know it just allows Blake to go up against a lot of these backup bigs who aren't that great. Um, Especially like, for instance, against Golden State, and we saw Doc do this. The I told you this right after the Atlanta game. They need to bring Blake in in the beginning of the second. Well, they did that against Golden State. Maybe it was uh, because of the lack of depth. But Blake came in and started to pick it up. Um, and well, that uh, that should be taken with a grain of salt because you know Golden State was playing without Bogut. Um, so. Sure, but you know you were used to seeing David Lee in the starting lineup. And it's been proven the last two seasons, at least, that Draymond is way better at handling Blake, causing way more problems for him. And they were in the first quarter. They were totally giving him fits. And then David Lee comes in, who has been you know, historically terrible on defense, especially against Blake. Against Blake, everyone, really. And Blake was a lot more aggressive, though. You know, um, was able. He didn't have a field goal in the first quarter, didn't score. And then was able to at least get something going a little bit more. And then as the game progressed, got his numbers. But, 
you know, it, it, it worked out for him in that instance. So give that another look, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of teams like Utah, you know, they're going to throw in their second line uh, in our next game. And he might be going up against Jeremy Evans or, you know, some of these guys who aren't as disciplined on defense. Draw fouls, get to the line. We saw Blake go to the foul line a lot on Christmas. Um, just keep it open. You I think know? Any, I, I, any matchup with Cantor for him is is a good one. I think he's going to win that every time. Yeah. And, and so let's take a look really quick at uh, a few of the games we got coming up. I mean, my God, we got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We had a nine game homestand. We've already played two, and we got uh, 10 and, and, and 11. Uh, is this the weirdest Clipper schedule you've ever seen? It's, it's strange. It's a strange one. We've and played it, most of the Eastern Conference teams twice already. Yeah, I understand it from like a scheduling point because you're going to have those long road trips. But, it, I mean, it's it's very tough to you know get any kind of consistency going. I think now is, is the optimal time because they do have so many home games. Maybe you can settle into a schedule that, that's going to work for these guys more so than what they have been experiencing. But, you know, this is, this is the stretch of the season where they really have to make up ground. Uh, this... Homestand, you know, they already dropped one, but a lot of these teams coming in uh, are not the elite teams of the league, I would say. Um, Atlanta, Atlanta, we already talked about Atlanta. Dallas is a, is a new look team now with Rondo. Um, but for the most part, these are very, very winnable games. And if the Clippers drop more than two games on this homestand, they're gonna, that's when we're going to really start to worry about this team. Uh, you I think if you look at the next uh, seven games, the combined records of these teams could not be over 500. I mean, there's no way. It would have to be in the low 40s. Well, yeah, because you've got Philly and the Lakers dragging everybody and down. And New York. Yeah. The worst team in the NBA. The record barely shows that they are the worst team in the NBA. So, I mean, this has got to be, yeah, like you're saying. But, you know, like we had said on that road trip, it's like, you know, you want, you hope that you can win everything but two games, but you know, you almost got to win out. I, 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 I think that with the except Atlanta, you get payback, and then the only other game is Dallas, where you haven't seen them yet, but pounce on it early. Don't have to get payback on the next matchup. You know, like we've had to do against Golden State and a few other Western Conference teams. You know. Um, yeah, it's January is going to be an interesting month because if if the Clippers can start to get the ball rolling um, with these two games at the end of December and then uh, r- ride through that homestand, they're going to be in pretty good shape. The The schedule is pretty favorable for them. Um, there are a couple of tests here and there, but for the most part, I would say that they're winnable games, you know, leading up until, into the Grammy road trip. Yeah, up until January uh, 31st. There's only four teams that you're going to look at with significant winning records, and that's Dallas, Cleveland, um, San Antonio, and Portland. So what is that, like uh, 15, 16 games mm-hmm. in January? Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, so let's let's pump the brakes on uh, some of the pessimism and wait and watch these games and see how the team looks from there and hopefully get Spencer Hawes back back healthy 
There is a stretch I'm looking at right here in February, and not to look too far ahead, but oh, well, you are. But let's go. But for let me it just anyway. let me just preview this. You got Oklahoma, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Sacramento, Memphis, Houston, Memphis. Yeah. Brutal. And then oh, when that's Brutal, done, right? you're facing and, and, Chicago and and Chicago. you've got the All Star game in between there. And then and then you got Chicago and Chicago. So fantastic, I mean, yeah. So so right now is the time where the Clippers have to make up ground and have to build something of a lead. Um, I would think uh, from you know at least the the teams in the seven eight position out west uh, to really not be in danger because you don't want to get to that point in the season and not have any room to work with. Absolutely not. I mean, let me ask you one more thing. Also, um, we saw a lot of criticism being thrown at Blake, whether it be the body language or the energy from him, the decrease, uh, the decline in rebounding. Um, but more recently in the last six games, six, seven games, he's really kind of been a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more like the Blake Griffin we've come to know and love. What, where are you with him right now as of December 29th, 2014 going into the new year? Um, what do you think about Blake right now? Well, I think it's a work in progress, right? I think that we're he's trying to find that middle ground between what he worked on on the offseason, namely the outside shot. Um, we had talked on a podcast earlier about how pick and rolls had just become pip, pick and pops exclusively. Um, that's starting to change. Uh, so he's trying to find... You know the happy middle ground in between those two. the The number of of mid range shots has de- decreased. You're not seeing it as much off of pick and rolls. It's morely. It's more you know coming out of the flow of the offense. If he happens to be open, he takes it. Um, but he is attacking more um, on the defensive end. You know, I don't think he's been stand out or or any better than he has been over the past you know season or so. Um, but offensively, yeah, if he can keep field goal percent, uh, not field goal, free throw percentage up um, and combine that attacking spirit that he had early on in his career with, you know, picking his spots in terms of getting things going from the outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be a very efficient player. Um, and whether or not, you know, that manifests itself in him scowling at people and, you know, trying to dunk on guys, at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter as long as, He's putting up the numbers, and if he's doing it in that efficient kind of way and not taxing his body more than he needs to, I think that we're seeing just a better overall player and something that is going to be able to build into sustainable success. And also, like, kind of going along with the success that he had had last year, if you're using that as a comparison, because two years ago he, he had had a very mediocre season um, in the trajectory or like expected production that one would from his early career, um, last year being third in MVP voting, you know he had obviously had a career year, uh, a career defining year almost this early on. Uh, but a lot of it came after the new year. A lot of it came after Chris Paul injured his shoulder in Dallas in January. So you know. I think that there's a lot on the table that Blake could kind of make up, but do you think that, I don't know, just seeing how Kevin Love's production has kind of taken a step back and 
LaMarco Saldridge is still a sexy pick, but do you still think that Blake is one of the best forwards in the NBA? I mean, I still think that a little pe- people are way too hard on him because he expected an MVP caliber season, but I just think that the that he's also being a way better teammate than people give him credit for. So I think that it's a little unfair, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing games where he puts up 11 assists. No other power forward in the league is doing that. Um, So from that standpoint, you know, in terms of being a playmaker, um, in terms of being fundamentally sound, making things happen, um, he's very aware, um, definitely, of of where guys are, are on the court. He's always whipping passes to the corner, trying to find DJ on lobs, things like that. You know, nobody gets it done as well as he does. Um, operating out of both the high post and the low post. Um, and then you add in that athleticism. You know, the rebounding numbers, sure, they're down, but I don't think that really means that he's any worse of a rebounder. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I think it's the same argument that you had, you know, kind of last year when you were looking at Blake, LaMarcus, and Kevin Love, and the really only thing that you could say was that, you know, these are three different types of players. Sure. And they're all fantastic in their own right. And mm-hmm. picking between any one of them is impossible because you're just basically picking the style of play. Now Blake has kind of incorporated some of those other aspects. Um, you think of you know the passing of Kevin Love and the mid-range game of LaMarcus Aldridge. Not saying he does either of those things as well. I mean, I don't know about Love in, in the half court. I think Blake is a sig- significantly better passer in the half court. Um, but he's kind of doing all of those things and becoming a more well-rounded power forward. The thing is about, you know, Kevin Love, obviously, is that the numbers were so inflated being in the situation he had been in in Minnesota for so long. It was a no-win situation, but the numbers were inflated. He is an elite player, but, I mean, the the 30 and 30 game and things like that are just, they're not games that people who are on balanced winning championship caliber teams are going to put up because number one, they're not going to have to play as many minutes to rack up stats like that. And number two, they're going to flow in a, in a system and an offense that's going to be more conducive to people around them succeeding than their individual, you know, numbers. That's why Kevin Love is actually taking a step back. I think this year and now LaMarcus, I mean, his team is, you know, pretty finely tuned and has shown success, but not in, you know, they, their numbers still benefit their star players and their young guys a little bit more than I think that we're seeing the Clippers grow in the fourth year of the Chris Paul era, you know? So I, I, I'm very confident about Blake having a great, we're not even at half point, halfway point of the season yet, but having a great 2015. Um, I think that his IQ is just really there. I think the thing that that stands out about that statement that you just made is that you think about those two teams, Portland and Cleveland, and where they are at this point in the season and the success that they've been having. Portland is doing well. Uh, Cleveland, all right, but you know they're leaving a lot to be desired, and I think those things come down to clearly defined roles. Uh, with Portland, everybody on that team knows their role um, and can come into each game knowing what to expect and what is expected of them. 
uh, and they are able to perform. And Cleveland right now, it seems like they don't really have that. They're still searching for that, and they're a team you know that just came together this year, so that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But the Clippers fall you know more towards that Cleveland side than they do the Portland side. That's uh, and that's that's the biggest worry right now, and they have a lot of time to figure it out before the playoffs. But it just seems like you know every year, um, whether it was Vinny or or even Doc last year, it's just they the Clippers have had a hard time finding those roles um, th- top to bottom throughout the team. I mean, you know what Chris's role is going to be. Uh, DJ now under Doc, you understand that Blake as well. Um, but it's the rest of those fringe candidates. I mean, Jamal also is, you know, scorer off the bench. That's clearly defined. But the rest of it hasn't seemed to gel quite properly. And mm-hmm. Doc's trying a lot of different things, but at a certain point, we just need to find something that works, um, even if it may not be the best and not always try to think that there's something better out there and there's a more perfect way to do this. But just say, you know, these are my top eight guys, maybe nine guys, and these are the guys who are going to play, and just go from there. Because you know what we, I, we need that. We can't keep having you know, experiments where Hato plays for three games and then sits and has DNPs for the rest of the time. Uh, I totally agree. I, I, you know what I want in 2015? I want a little Jared Cunningham. I think it might be... I think it might be good to just... Especially when we're playing the Philadelphias and the Knicks in the next week, like... Throw Cunningham out there. Get him some, you know, get him some minutes because there's nothing on the horizon that has shown that Wilcox or Bullock or any of these quote unquote young guys are giving us. I mean, Cunningham is agile. He's explosive. He obviously makes a lot of mistakes that result in in uh, in, in in baskets for the other team. But with a guy like that, he's like a Yasiel Puig type. You kind of got to give him the at bats, you know, just to see what he can put up. Because so you're advocating for more experimentation. Um, I mean, in garbage <laughs> time, <laughs> we haven't had any garbage time this season. Nope. So and we probably won't. As we saw two years ago in December, when we won 17 games in a row, and we had more, you know, minutes doing the wave than we did starters on the floor in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you could throw Eric Bledsoe out there, and that really helped everyone see that he was this like really exciting young guy, um, who was a spark plug and could probably carry an offense on his own as, as a starter in a, on another team. So you know, I'm just saying, Jared Cunningham. Not saying that he's anywhere close to like an Eric Bledsoe level, but he's explosive. He can create you know, opportunities for you at the line, cut to the hole also. Mm-hmm. There's a decent amount. But I'm just saying, if like that's the one young guy you have and, you know, Big Baby has no upside or, you know, Jordan Farmar is more of a undersized two guard than someone who's going to help you facilitate a decent offense, you know, you kind of have to throw a monkey wrench in there. All so. right. Okay. Let's, yeah. That's it. Chad Kenny, you hear you heard it here. Give more minutes to homeless man's Russell Westbrook. Yep, there that's you the go. Key to success. <laughs> uh, this is coming from a Zach Levine fanatic, so don't take take this with a grain of salt. Uh-huh. But, uh, uh, so Andrew, I know you're not going to as many games as you have in the past because you've started working uh working nights, yeah. Demanding restaurant job, but yeah. is there anything that you want to say to Clipper fans uh who are a little 
weary this holiday season of, because of recent performance and going into the new year, is there any advice you want to give to Clipper fans before we get started in a fresh 2015? You know, pick up a pick up a new new hobby, maybe um, maybe like a, a a new book, that book that you have been putting away that you haven't read and mm. you, still, you know that you need to read it. Maybe mm-hmm. catch up on a on a TV series on Netflix that you've been putting off. Uh, I recommend probably The Wire or Breaking Bad if you haven't watched those. Great. Um, and just throw yourself into that for these next three weeks uh, and then come back to the Clippers because we'll have a much better idea of, of what the team is at that point. And, uh, and I think that that's going to be the cure. We got we to gotta give it some time. Very, very well said, Andrew. I like that. So escapism for as much as, much as possible mm-hmm. until we kind of figure out what the hell is going on. And, you know, uh, try to fulfill some of your other resolutions. Like I, for instance, I'm going to try to stop reading internet comment boards and try to spend more time with loved ones. <laughs> but I mostly first, stop yeah. reading internet comment boards. Right. The first thing is a little bit more important. Yeah. But, uh, Awesome. Well, we will hopefully get to some games in 2015 together. Uh, send us any fan mail or anything to clipstream at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter, SoundCloud, the iTunes podcast store, and have a very healthy and safe new year. Hold me back. Hold me back. Take care.